Let's read our text, Luke chapter 10. We'll go verse 25 all the way down through verse 37. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood, uh, stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a, a priest was going down the road and, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and, and when he saw him, he had, what's that word? Compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, it's about two weeks wages, and, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a better neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. So the lawyer's question at the beginning of the story, at its very essence, is all about like, what does it really mean to, to like live for God? Like, what is life about? Uh, sum it all up, what does this life really mean? And it's interesting, I've never noticed this until I was doing some preparation uh, for this, this text. Uh, most of us uh, think Jesus just sort of answers the question, right? With what's referred to as the great commandment. And if you listened to what Gabby read, that's because in Matthew, that's what, actually what Jesus does. And in Mark, uh, the lawyer just asks the question and Jesus says, here, here you go. Here's the answer, which is interesting because in, in Luke, uh, Luke puts the answer of, of this question in the voice back in the lawyer's voice. So Jesus poses the question, hey, what do you think about it? This is like a classic teacher move. This would have been very common for rabbis, but um, this happened all the time when I was in college and my professors would do this and I hated it. You know, you'd like come up with some question. You're like trying to be all profound. You're like, oh, I'm gonna really impress everybody with this like really profound question. And the professor might look back at you and say, I mean, oh, what do you think? It's like, dang it, I don't know. That's why I asked. I was trying to sound smart. Now I, now I look dumb in front of everyone, right? But, um, uh, but, but this is in effect what Jesus is doing. He's saying, okay, well, well you're the expert here. How do you read it? What, what do you think about this question? In other accounts of this interaction, in, in Matthew and Mark, the story is just brief. It's just question and answer. But, but in this story, I think Luke is depicting this, this man, this lawyer to be less adversarial. Uh, he's approaching him uh, in, in a much more conversational way. Jesus invites the lawyer to participate actively in the discovery and the, in the wrestling with his own question. I think this is something that a lot of us are, are uh, not familiar with. We, we sort of wanna come to Jesus. We wanna come to God to get our answers, right? It's like, okay, Jesus, this is my question. I don't know what to do in this situation. Uh, I just wanna put my quarter in the gumball machine and receive the answer that I need. But it, it looks like in this scenario, um, it, it's Jesus kind of inviting this man to process and wrestle with the answer to his own question. I love that depiction of how God might invite us to wrestle with our own questions. 
But the, the lawyer actually nails it. I just think this would have been awesome. It's like Jesus asks you a question, you're like, boom. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you nailed it. Um, but but it, it would have been an awesome feeling, but the conversation continues. And I identify with the lawyer so much at this point. Uh, he asks uh, one of my favorite things in the world, a clarifying question. Uh, so this is my strength and my downfall. You can ask my wife, but I'm constantly trying to clarify everything. I can't just take an answer for what it is. I'm seeing some looks across uh, uh, between some of you to some friends, but um, I'm always trying to figure out the nuance, trying to figure out the details, really understand the whole like question from every facet, every angle. You can almost see the lawyer's dissatisfied look on his face when Jesus answers him back, right? Jesus says, okay, so what, what do you think? And he's like, okay, I feel like I got the right answer, but okay, like love, love God, love my neighbor, but... But who is my neighbor? Like he's really trying to understand. And, and Jesus responds with this parable that we've been looking at that, that honestly would have been so scandalous to everyone that would have heard it. But, but in our context, it's become largely benign because we, we're not really in this culture. So I wanna bring this parable to life a little bit. You know, I had the, the chance to go to Israel last May and actually be in this exact place. Well, not maybe the exact place where it happened, but um, in Jerusalem and Jericho. And um, so when the story says this man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's like literally down. Uh, it goes uh, down 3000 feet in just 17 miles from Jerusalem down to Jericho at the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth. And, and all the way down, it's just this rocky, hilly terrain with big boulders everywhere. And the road is like cut in between these hills. And it's so obvious, uh, someone would have hidden behind any of these rocks and just kind of jumped out and, and surprised someone and ambushed them, which is what happens in this story. Um, so, so that's what happens. This, this, this man is robbed and ambushed and these two uh, religious leaders pass by on the other side. You know, it's a familiar story for most of us. And a Samaritan stops and sacrifices his time, his money uh, to restore this man to health. Now here's where most of us, I think myself included, have misinterpreted this parable. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, who's an Episcopal priest, she's a prominent author, just, she's a boss. Uh, she points out why this might've happened. And I'll paraphrase her quote uh, to make it a little clearer. She says, it's easy to misinterpret this story because it's mostly told as a self-congratulatory tale about people like us, Christians, uh, who know the right answer to the question Jesus asks, even without the story to back it up. In other words, we, we sort of put ourselves in the lawyer's shoes, uh, and answer Jesus' question without ever paying attention to the story. Who's the better neighbor? The man, without, the man that showed mercy, nailed it. Don't even need the story to back it up. And that's certainly part of what Jesus is referring to here about acts of mercy, uh, that as the people of God were to be agents of mercy in the world to people who are hurting. Uh, there's some nuance there because this, this parable can't become a, a model for modern relief work in, in like an urban context, just very different. Uh, and if we were to make this like the normative model for, uh, for charity, I think it breaks down and we miss a lot of uh, what, what we're needing to do to help people. Yet God still does call us to show compassion. But ha having the right answer to Jesus' question about mercy is, is not the whole purpose of this parable. Uh, we, we need to look at the question that the lawyer asks to really see what Jesus is doing here. So if you'll look back, he, he, he doesn't say, okay, Jesus, uh, what does it look like to love my neighbor? Like, how, how do I love my neighbor? Or, or, or what type of, we love, of love are we talking about? Is this like agape love? Like, what, what type of love are we talking about? No, he's, he asks, uh, who is my neighbor? It's a question of identity, right? Of, he's being specific uh, about who is my neighbor. And so Jesus could have just responded, right? He could have just said, okay, you know, everyone's your neighbor. All right, there's the answer. But 
Uh, it, it wouldn't have called forth his imag- imagination enough, I think, to change his paradigm, to change his worldview. This is why Jesus told parables so often. He, he doesn't even explain them a lot of the time, which is so frustrating. He'll just tell some story about wheat or pearls, and he's like, all right, peace, I'm out. Y'all figure that one out, good luck. Um, and it's just so interesting that he tells these parables to ignite our imagination, and there's not always this perfect interpretation or right answer. But he, he tells these parables, and, and, and he tells this parable to ignite the imagination of the lawyer. And this would have been so radical, so scandalous to the people that would have heard Jesus tell the story. And the reason is the hero of the story is a Samaritan and not a Jewish person. So if you're not aware, uh, Jews and Samaritans absolutely hated one another. Uh, just tremendous animosity for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, one, one commentator put it uh, that, that they viewed each other as vile imposters, each totally unclean in the eyes of God. It's actually funny that in the text uh, right before this story that we read, Jesus and the disciples are traveling through Samaria and they're refused a place to stay in a Samaritan village. And uh, the disciples ask, ask Jesus to call down fire from heaven on this village. They're like, okay, Jesus, just smoke them. Like, get them out of there. Like, they're the worst. Like, just destroy this village. Obviously, Jesus doesn't, doesn't uh, acquiesce to that. But it, it's so funny that in the next chapter, this is the story that Jesus tells. He responds so differently uh, to the Samaritans. It's even ironic, I think, that this story has to be qualified as the good Samaritan because no one ever calls the Samaritan good in the story. It's like it, it's, it's out of the ordinary that a Samaritan would be called good to achieve such a noteworthy title. It's like, hey, look at the Samaritan who was good. Like, can you believe this? It's some irony playing out here. So I think looking at the question Jesus is responding to, but also what's the radical notion in the parable? Um, helps us to understand that Jesus is not just making a point about mercy, about showing mercy to people. I think if that were the case, then the hero could have and perhaps would have been a fellow Jewish person, right? Uh, Someone was in need on the side of the road and a kind-hearted Jewish person came by and provided help, but there's more going on. Jesus is inviting us to expand our understanding of who we are to love. And therefore, uh, to tie it back to this series, who, who are to belong to? He says, you belong to the stranger. You belong to the outcast. You belong to the marginalized. Uh, a lot of theologians will, will kind of refer to this as us belonging to the other, the one that's different than us. And typically when we think about belonging, I don't know if this is true for you, it's true for me. Um, we frame the, round, frame the conversation about belonging, about um, where we belong, right? It's like, where's home for me? Like, where do I really fit in? Where do I, where do I belong? It's sort of a self-directed question, which is a good question to ask. It's vital and necessary to like every core need of a human to belong with people. But I wanna think about the belonging through the lens of the Good Samaritan and change the question from where do I belong to who do I belong to? Instead of asking, okay, where do I belong? That's a question about us thinking about who do I belong to? When exploring about what it looks like to belong to the family of God, we have to ask the question and address the reality that we belong to more than just the people in our close community. Most of us, well, I often prefer a version of belonging that only includes people that are most like me. I don't know if that's true for you. Uh, Jesus gives us a higher vision of belonging. For Jesus, belonging has less to do with who's like us 
and more to do with stewarding the privileges we have for the sake of the other. It's less to do about who's like us and more to do about stewarding our privileges for the sake of the other. It's as if in this moment, Jesus expands the circle that includes the people uh, that we love, or it perhaps even does away with the circle. Like there's no in and out. It's just all love. All people are within the sphere of God's love and mercy through us, regardless of how similar or different they may be. I think the church, in my view, has been far too uh, quick to draw the dividing lines of belonging and too slow to show tangible and radical love to the other. I've often been guilty of that. Uh, I love this quote. There's a guy named Reverend Curtis Olmquist. He, he breaks it down this way. It says, Jesus's mission in this parable is to break down the dividing walls of hostility between people, between us and whomever we might judge to be different, as inferior, as disgusting, whomever we find to be a stranger or to be strange because of their race, religion, class, color, gender, sexual orientation, or markings. In other words, uh, Jesus is pushing us to show that we, we belong to everyone. And for the listening Jews, Jesus just picks the worst possible example. It's like, really, you're gonna tell us that we belong to the Samaritans. That's, that's really what you're gonna do here. I wonder how Jesus would have responded to us if we had asked the same question as the lawyer. What story Jesus would have told? If we had asked the same question in this moment, A.J. Levine, who's a Jewish professor of New Testament at Vanderbilt, says, if Jesus would have been a Samaritan, he would have told the story of the good Jew. Kind of flipped it on its head. So I think the best way to recover the punch of what Jesus is saying here is to think about what person or people groups in our lives about whom we are slowest to attach the word good. Might Jesus have told a story about a Muslim showing acts of mercy to a Christian lying in a ditch? A Republican to a Democrat lying on the side of the road or vice versa? And who walks by? Undoubtedly someone we respect and admire, a pastor, a prominent theologian or professor, mentor that we, that we look up to. Whatever obliterates the categories we've imposed upon the world is that upon which Jesus is pushing us. He's reminding us that before any human constructed division that we try to create, we're simply human, image bearers of God. And Jesus, I, I love this. He almost makes neighboring a verb. Who is the better neighbor? Like who, who neighbored better? Who showed sacrificial love? And so belonging in, in this sense and the way Jesus is talking about is, is active love towards those who are different. I think that's where Jesus is really pushing the lawyer to, to reflect. It's not passive or Jesus would not have said at the end, go and what? Do, go and do likewise. This is an active love towards those that are different. Be a neighbor to everyone that crosses your path. Certainly those that live in proximity next to you as literal neighbors, but especially those that are different. Show that their humanness alone calls forth a sense of belonging and responsibility to show love and mercy and grace to. Seek their flourishing, seek their justice, seek their good. I think there's a lot of ways we can conclude and sort of get practical about this. You know, this, this parable is ripe for the picking with application, right? That's why there's so many organizations that try and um, take this name and apply it to their context. We could look at it through the eyes of each of the passerbys. God knows I've passed by a number of people in my life for various reasons. I, I had the chance to do that this morning. It was honestly just the most ironic thing in the world. I'm like driving to church late. Uh, I was late to where I wanted to go and 
Uh, there's someone on the side of the road, their car's broken down. They're trying to like push it by themselves into a gas station. And it's like, okay, this is hilarious. Uh, I hate this for this person, but honestly, ironic that I'm preaching on this this morning. And I, I would have liked to think that regardless of any day, how late I was, or if I was preaching on this text or not, I would have stopped and helped. I would, I would like to think that. It's like a high view of my, my intentions. I did, obviously, because I could not have come in here with good conscience and uh, having just passed by this person, right? Um, but, but yes, this is talking about people that we can pass by or not pass by. And there's all sorts of people that, that we pass by on the road and in life. They may not be like bleeding and dying like the man in this story, but they've certainly been wounded by life. So we could kind of take that direction. We could look at the story through the eyes of the Samaritan, kind of put ourselves in the hero of the story and ask about means of helping people. You know, is, is it always best to provide relief? And why was the road from Jerusalem to Jericho so dangerous? Like what systemic issues can we address to make the road safer? Like we could, we could go that route. I'd encourage you to try those on maybe with further reflection this week. But today I, I wanna put, put ourselves in a little bit more of an uncomfortable place in the story. To put ourselves in the place of the person lying on the side of the road, the perspective of the ditch. To imagine what it would feel like for you and I, for you and me, to be shown love from someone from whom we might otherwise stay away? How might our perspective change if we were the recipient of compassion from someone we deem as other, rather than in in a privileged state, get to choose whether or not we are a neighbor to someone else, regardless of their otherness or difference? So instead of giving you a bunch of practical ways to like go and live this out, I just wanna like, in the same way Jesus did, kind of leave it open-ended for you. To ask some questions, to stir your imagination a little bit, and just to try this on. So how might this imaginative exercise, putting ourselves in the perspective of the ditch, change our engagement in the world with other people? How much slower might we be to distance ourselves from those whom we demonize? How much quicker might we be to extend our love to others that are different when we're in the position of the passerby? And how much more passionately might we advocate for the stranger, for the immigrant, for the marginalized in our communities to seek their justice, to seek their flourishing, to uphold their integrity in the image of God in them? You know, Jesus said, go and do likewise to this man. Be like the Samaritan. My prayer today is that as followers of Jesus in this room, in the midst of a society that is wrestling with and and a lot of times marked by things like white supremacy, and xenophobia, racism, sexism, homophobia, divisions of every kind that that we sort of create and impose, that we might go into the world and as Jesus said, do likewise. I pray that the Spirit would give us a vision for belonging and becoming that's not just about the people that look like us, the people that talk like us and believe like us, uh, but that God would show us a vision of seeking life in God um, through belonging to the other to people that are different, becoming more like Jesus by expanding our circles of love in this way. So that's, that's what I wanna encourage you to kind of carry with you this week. Um, and, and the first step of that carrying with you is to transition into a time of communion. Uh, and, and so during communion, uh, this is something we do every week. And just to kind of let you know if you're part of this community or not, if you're uh, a family member here or just a visitor, uh, even if you're a Christian or not a Christian, we invite you to take communion with us. 
And kind of how we do communion is uh, we go to the table and I'll invite you to go to the table in just a minute. We'll take the juice and the bread and we typically just invite you to circle up or to go outside on the porch. It's a beautiful day. And, and just to kind of process a little bit uh, with someone you came with about what God was stirring up in your heart today. And then you sort of uh, take communion on your own at your own pace uh, to just reflect for a few minutes, pray together and take communion. And, and this is just our constant reminder um, that Jesus is the one that broke down the hostility between us and God. Um, we, we've talked about this a lot, that, that Jesus has made, has reconciled us with God. And right, this passage in 1 Corinthians would say, now we are to be ministers of reconciliation. So it's this receiving of God being, uh, God reconciling us. And now we carry that reconciliation to people that are our enemies in the world. And so I just wanna invite you, as you take communion, uh, embody and remember that Jesus has reconciled uh, the enemies of God to God, uh, that we are now in the family of God and that we carry that same heart, that same uh, mentality as we go out into the world. Uh, so I wanna invite you to stand and we the, the band to come on up. I wanna pray for us um, and, and then we'll go to communion. So go ahead and stand with me. <clears throat> oh, let's pray. Jesus, we, we confess our tendency just to homogenize our lives, to, to congregate around only people that are like us, that look like us, believe like us, act like us. We know that that's not the fullest picture of your, of your kingdom. And so in our lives, in the places that we live, the places that we frequent at work or school, our communities, would you push us beyond our comfort zone to see people through your eyes, to expand and obliterate our, our circles and dividing lines that we put on, on the world and to love people radically simply because they bear your image, to love them with the same love that you showed us, to carry this ministry of reconciliation into the world, to love our enemies. What a radical thing. Would you do that in our hearts? Would you transform us? This takes transformation, Holy Spirit, by your power. We ask this in your name.